Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. From being an immigrant to lieutenant colonel, Daniel Harris is now leadership coach, author, and professor. The three major points that he talks about is love, selflessness, and recognizing the potential is just a few examples of outstanding leadership. Stay tuned to his inspiring journey. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is the amazing Daniel Harris. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you, Shay, for having me. So Daniel and I got connected through uh, a mutual connection, I believe. Um, Frank, correct? Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So thank you, Frank, for connecting us. And I, I'm sorry, your, your last name is uh, escaping me Fels, at the moment. Yeah, Fels, Felsberg. <laughs> yes, thank you. And uh, I'm, I love, I have your book, uh, On Guard. Uh, the four pillars of leadership. So I can't wait to dive into this. But first of all, I love to introduce you because for those of you who don't know, Lieutenant Colonel, retired Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Harris is a 30-year veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces. He is the founder and CEO of Muddy Boots Leadership. Muddy Boots is a leadership development organization that specializes in developing managers and supervisors into leaders. Lieutenant Colonel Harris is an adjunct professor teaching graduate level business courses for the Master's of Science degree in organizational leadership at Mercy College. And I know we are just going to have so much to talk about. So I'm just going to dive in with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? First of all, thank you very much, Shay, for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here and having this conversation with you. This uh, issue of people. I think it's something that uh, resonates well with both of us. Uh, uh, it's near and dear to our hearts, uh, and I'm excited to be here, and, and so thank you. What does it mean? What does investing in people mean to me? A number of things. Uh, first is listening, listening to people, empowering people, freeing people, allowing them to bring their best selves 100% of the time. Uh, I think that is the role of leadership. Uh, lastly, and because people are different, we have different people issues. <laughs> okay? uh, and people are going to come the way they are. Um, and these different human issues will range, cover the wide range of everything from normal household daily living to whether they're in business, or they're in politics, or they're in religion, or they're in sports entertainment, it's, and so on and so forth. So as a leader, you do whatever it is you need to do to help people find 
their passion, bring their best self. And that's, that's what I mean by that. Uh, and that is, you know, what moves them? What causes them to step out? What will empower them to step off the ledge, just step off without all of the encumbrances? That's what I think leadership should be doing. That is the purpose of leadership. And uh, it starts with listening to people to empower them. And the rest uh, goes on from there. I love that you answered with listening because I believe investing is listening as well. And I think it's a lost art. You know, we are in such a a moving, constant in motion society that we're doing multitasking so many things at once that we forget how to be present and completely listen and fully committed to hearing and understanding that other person. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Yes, absolutely. If I am interested in you, it starts with me listening to you and, and, it, it really takes a discipline to be able to do so and not jump in, interject, or take the conversation in a completely different avenue or down a completely different path than the person that you are talking to or leading uh, is, is, is ready to or wanted to, to go down that path. And what, what will often happen is they'll shut down. Um, they'll, they'll say, well, he's not listening. <laughs> She's not listening. And so what follows on, even though they may not say it, is not interested in what I have to say. Therefore, you've just closed an entire uh, experience that um, otherwise perhaps would have been very rewarding and meaningful. I I agree. And and I really think it's rewarding and meaningful. I love that you use that. So when I hear so many people say, well, I was listening, but then I had this other thought that popped into my head. And I said, were you thinking about what you're going to say next? And they're like, well, yeah, isn't that what everybody does? And I said, no, <laughs> that's not Absolutely. what every, you know, it's more from a listening yeah. to understand rather than to respond. Precisely. And uh, to understand with the, from the perspective of, wanting to uh, assist this individual to navigate whatever path they're on to bringing them best selves to, to uh, identifying whatever it is that drives them, whatever that passion is. Um, you, you, you have to listen for it. Some people have it. It's a very, you know, small number, I think in our population, um, but many don't know it. And, and they may just be in an autopilot mode and going about doing something. Many are frustrated. Many are confused. Many are tired. And um, they don't recognize that their tiredness or, or their frust- you know, they're, they're being frustrated uh, results in them pulling back, in disengaging. And all that does is it, it's a, it's a self-lic- uh, self-licking ice cream cone, as they say. It just leads to more being disinterested and disengaged and more frustration uh, that when you listen and the purpose for you listening is to really hold this individual's hand and bring them along through your influence, through your experience, through your knowledge and, and, and what you have uh, to share with them. It's, it's to bring them to that space where, gosh, yeah, this is, this is really what I want. 
And then you begin to assist them with tearing down the fears that that's holding them back from doing it. Just, just walk off the ledge. Just go. Oh my God. Well, I cannot do that. Well, why not? Well, you know, I, I, I got to pay the bills. I got a car note. I got to, I have to pay my rent I have to put food on the table. I'm with you. You have to do those things. We all have to do those things. But is what you're doing allowing your best self to come forth? I.e., are you being creative? Are you being innovative? Are you thinking, are you so immersed in this that it excites you and every waking minute is spent thinking about it, how to do it differently, how to, how to talk about it differently? Is, is, is it doing that? Well, no, but I, I, and I need to pay the bills. I, I got you. So how about we flip that script? How about your focus becomes what you're about while you're doing the other things to sustain you in that? I mean, we need to be smart about this, right? You got, you got to eat. And if what you're about has not gotten you to that level yet, to that point where you can sustain yourself from it, and, and that's another part of the conversation I'll come to, uh, well, then you need to be doing these other things, but that is not, understand that that's not what you're about. That is a stepping stone. That's to get you to where you want to be. Because I will submit to you this, Shay, when you are where you want to be, you don't have to worry about sustainment. Because understand, you will be among the best or the best at whatever that is. So my interaction, my conversations, my experience with you is to help, help contribute to that. Okay. Um, because I know this, there's always room for one more good person. There's always room in any profession. I don't care what, what it is, even if it's something you, there's always room. If you're good at what you do, they will make room for you. The problem becomes you have not had the opportunity to grow and develop and be that good because the, the, the script is, is flipped. I got to pay the, the rent. I got to eat food. I got to make that car note. I got to pay the cell phone bill. So that becomes your overriding and everything else that defines you is now suppressed or second, secondary. And, and you're wondering why you're, you're confused and, and frustrated because it's not you. When you are doing what you're hardwired to do, oh my, that's, <laughs> you're, in a, you're in a totally different space. You are living. Yeah. You are living. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting. And, and I say to people, how do you know when you're there? Mm. You know, well, well, how do I know I'm doing what I like to do? Well, very simple, two things. You will experience two things, timelessness and <laughs> effortlessness. Oh, yes. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, when you are engaged in what you're hardwired to do, you lose track of time. You don't even look at the clock. And oh, my gosh, I've been here for 10 hours. I, I still have this, this to do. Well, you know, hey, Shay, it's time to go home. You know, you missed lunch, you're, and people think you're this. You no, know, you're, just, you're just immersed in what you don't. You lose track of time. When that, that is the first sign that you have, you have opened that window or door into what it is you're hardwired for. That's your passion. And the second thing is effortlessness. You do it with no effort. It's not even work. It's, it's just what you do. Yeah. You say, oh, don't you get tired? No, 
well, you know, it doesn't feel burdensome. It doesn't feel like it's a job. Uh, it, it's just flowing. It's just flowing. Timelessness, effortlessness. When you lock into those two, you, 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 you've connected what you're hardwired for into this physical world. And it gets, and that's just the beginning of the roller coaster ride. It gets exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Second question. And that was the answer. <laughs> and I am tearing up because it is so beautiful to one, see someone who has um, so many accolades, so passionate about this topic. Number one, number two it, you are literally describing me and the difference between surviving and thriving. And I mm. help, I help my clients, um, my coaching clients. Uh, I do professional development person. Well, I say professional development. It's all personal development because you are who you yes. are. Right. Mm-hmm. I help with that as well. Um, in leadership training as well. So it's, it's, this is why we're, we're meant to be, we're meant to be <laughs> friends, Daniel. Yes, such, yes, such, yes. such synergy. Uh, you know, I, for those of you who are listening, I hope you're taking notes because he is just dropping value bombs after value bombs after value bombs. And thank you. Yes. And, you know, you touched on something and as you were talking, I was just no, oh, it was about how it shows up. And, mm-hmm. and I coach on this is really about being able to feel it in your body. What does that look like? What does that energy buildup feel like in your body? And as you're talking, you could see how passionate you are because you're starting to move and you get excited. <laughs> and, and, and I am, uh, the, I call myself the chief excitement officer because there is something so enthusiastic and energizing when you get passionate and excited about something that it literally lights you on fire every single day that you just, you are so spot on with timeless and effortlessness. And that has been um, my purpose. It's not work. No. And doors doors open. Opportunities show up. Absolutely. Opportunities show up. And and, uh, I, I use this analogy Let's say you are a basketball franchise owner and you have had your final meeting with your staff for the season. Your coaching staff is all set. Your team's roster is all set. You had the opportunity for first round picks. You are ready to go. Budget is all set. Everything is great. You're sitting at home on an after, Sunday afternoon uh, having a glass of wine and your doorbell rings. And you're so happy with yourself. You tell the butler, I got this. And you get up in your house robe and you walk to the door and you open the door. And on the other side of the door is Michael Jordan. He says, Mm. hi, Shay. I want to play for you. Let's talk. Wow. What do you do? Your your coaching staff, your team, roster, everything's full. You're all set, ready to roll. What do you do when Michael Jordan is on the other side of your door and says, Shay, I'd like to play for you. What do you do? I'll invite. tell you what you do. <laughs> I was going to say, invite <laughs> him in, but go ahead, you say. <laughs> I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to yeah. go, absolutely. You're going yes. to make room absolutely. on that roster for him. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, and why is that? Very simply. He is damn good at what he does. Yeah. He's extremely good at what he does. He is among the best or is the best at what he does. 
Okay. And this is what I tell people. They will make room for you. They will fire somebody to bring you on board if you have arrived at that space in, you know, uh, in, your, in your existence. And very simply, how do you get to being the good, to being good, to being among the best or the best? And it's just that total immersion where you discover that passion and you just stepped off the ledge with it. Yeah. You put your own spin on it. You, you think about it differently. You do different things about it. One of the questions they asked him was, you know, how is it that you make, you know, on average, so many more of your attempted, you know, shots than someone who, and he says, well, very simple. He goes, you know, in my mind, the basket is as big as the room and I'm just lobbing the ball in there. Mm. And they asked someone, you know, you know, what's your perception in their mind? The ball is the size of the room, and they're trying to get that ball in, in, in a little small basket, so they keep missing it. Right. It's it's how the world evolves for you, and how you perceive and allow yourself to just be enveloped by the world. Yeah. Um, let's say you are on a tennis court with uh, Serena Williams, mm-hmm. and say, "Okay, Shay, go ahead and serve the ball." And you know you're on on the court with a with a world class champion yeah so she serves with all her might i mean everything you got mm-hmm. wham all goes across the net oh. understand in serena williams's world that ball is coming at her in slow motion she can read the word wilson on the ball as it's coming across the net but what do you do when she returns that serve you probably duck <laughs> okay you, 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 okay, hold on. I'll do that again. <laughs> okay. Because it's coming at you so fast. It's, 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 it's so fast. You duck and you duck again and again. The world evolves for her quite differently from you. She's in her world. Yes. She's a Titan in her world. And you just simply have not found your world yet. When you find it, you become a titan in it. And anyone who steps into that field, well, you know, they're, they're Boy Scouts, as we say. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's this notion of letting go of the fear of the encumbrances. You need to take care of those things. Yeah. But understand, I want you to get to the point where you are living Okay, if you are a person of faith, I believe this is the reason why we're here. You're to live and not be tied down with all of these encumbrances of, I got to pay the light bill, I got a phone bill, I got this bill, the note, and this. Don't get me wrong, you need to do those things. Okay, but that doesn't become the overriding purpose of your existence. It's about you bringing that best self to the table and this ties into everything. It ties into the bottom line in organizations. It ties mm-hmm. in to if you're in politics, uh, whatever that is, the 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 uh, results will will come forth. Right? We say people quit their bosses; they don't quit their jobs. Okay, and when you have a boss that's not a that's not a leader, people are going to quit them. Mm-hmm. When you employ someone, you bring a member onto the team. Understand that individual is qualified. Mm -hmm. That's why you brought them on the team. You may need to show them the nuances of your locale. This is how we do this here. You know, when you answer the phone, you must start on the left side or the right side. Yeah, yeah, that's 
that's location by location. Those are the only things you're going to do is orient them, but they know how to do their jobs, right? So why does a worker or an employee or a team member need a manager? Why, why do I need you? Well, a couple of things. I need you to make decisions. When I get to that fork in the road, hey, boss, uh, do we go left or right? And when I need a decision, I don't need you to take a week to give it to me. I don't need you to take 24 hours to give it to me. All right. If you were right on and you're the boss, you'd be able to say, uh, yeah, Shay, uh, go left. Okay. I'm coming back to the military with my, with my experience there. Uh, so I need you to make decisions. I need you to prioritize because many times I'll have 10 things on a plate. No, for me, life is very simple. Which one do you want me to do first? I got 10 things on a plate. You're not going to tell me, oh, I need all 10 of them done. Yes, I understand that. But right. which is more important to you right now? Because mm-hmm. I'm here to support you. Prioritize, make decisions, resource. Okay. Love it. Love resource. It. If you can do those three things for me as a leader, I got the rest. And understand, I'm not going to come to you all the time every day for those three things. It's once in a while because I'm, I'm driving down. I'm, I'm, I'm in the express lane on the highway. <laughs> okay. So get out of my way. I'm, I'm going to produce for you. I, all I need are the opportunities to leverage my creativity, utilize some innovation to getting this done for you, for the organization, for the team. The problem becomes where greater than 95% of leaders are not in that mindset. They need to be hovering. I call it the helicopter people. They're hovering over you, watching how you do everything, and it's, it's, it kills the spirit. Yes. It kills the spirit. And that individual just it now becomes a job simply because they have no autonomy in what they're doing. Um, they're just they're just cranking along through the motions. You know, you look at you look at the, the eyes in a team member when you say, um, surprise me, you know, because <laughs> yeah. um, guys who are coming, you know, we, we're, we're, we're in a, getting ready to, to embark on something and they're waiting for instructions and guidance and you know, this. You know, show, me, show me what you got. Just surprise me. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And, you know, and and that gets the blood going and it gets exciting. Starts from there. So I really feel that is the purpose of leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, influencing people. I say, I think I have this in the book. Leadership is getting people to do what you want them to do without having to resort to intimidation, humiliation, or fear. That's not leading. That's bullying people. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> it's so true so true that's bullying so true. people and i've come to find that i despise bullies mm-hmm. and i'm not talking about the physical type i'm talking about the emotional type they're even more dangerous yeah people who just you know bludgeon other people over their heads they, they kill their spirit they crush them and that is an entire human being with a a you know bottomless well full of you know things that they can they can do contributions that they can make and you're destroying that and uh, a handful of people are strong enough to go you know what i'm out of here and with today's generation the various uh uh, uh, you know groups are millennials i i love the millennials they'll go to lunch and don't return back to work right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you may or may not even, yeah I'm, I'm out of here I'm, I'm, I'm so over this they they will head out for a coffee break and they they don't come back 
they they don't feel tied down. Yeah. And so uh, leaders now have to understand how do you lead these types of team members, you know, because they're not your veteran era or your boomers or your Gen Xers. Right. It's a different it's a different mindset and way to lead them. Mm. And if you're not up on those are the things that leadership should be uh, strengthening their skills on and, mm-hmm. and dealing with. And again, you lock into that by listening to them, yes. by talking with them. Um, and then you know where they're at and how to help elevate them to that next level. That, that should be your purpose. That should be your purpose mm. as, a, as a team lead. You know, we don't say subordinates and, you know, I don't even use the word employees anymore. We're a team member and they're team leads. I, I and can... given any, yeah, any situation that 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 can that can flip. I've been in my units where, you know, given a particular mission, a E four, which would be a specialist, just one rank above a private first class, right, is more knowledgeable, got a little bit more experience on a particular thing than a senior NCO, an E six, you know, a staff sergeant or a sergeant first class. Or even I, when I was a lieutenant, um, and I did not hesitate to say, okay, you got point, you know, and tell the rest of the team, let's do what he says. And, and you see how that individual begins, you know, to feel themselves like, well, I'm part of this group. They respect me. They acknowledge what I bring to the table. Um, you know, I, I, for me, I, I, I taste the Kool-Aid very quickly and I, and I start asking for more. Give me more. <laughs> I want more. Mm. So you touched on so, so many nuggets. Again, I know my listeners are taking notes. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about, you mentioned mindset and you have such a, a growth mindset, positive, and you're such a dynamic leader. Just in the few minutes that we've been talking, you can just, it exudes from you. So I'm curious. Yes, you're welcome. So I'm curious. Can you take us back to young Daniel and what was your driving force to uh, join in the military in the, in the, to, in the first place? So my family immigrated to the United States in 1977. Dad was here for about seven years before that in 1970. And he started to fix our, uh, our immigration papers. And it took him about seven years. <clears throat> and where are you from? My mom was able to. From Liberia, West Africa, born, raised, came to the U.S. about age 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so we landed at JFK, February 20th, 5 p.m. on a Pan Am flight, and it was snowing. <laughs> First time seeing snow in my life, my brother and I, uh, he's now deceased, love him dearly, mm-hmm. um, have a profound love and respect for that man, and, and, and we grew uh, together with that, um, he passed away uh, in, uh, in, in Florida in uh, a couple of years now. We're, we're on the second year uh, oh, since, since he passed, that. and I miss him. I miss him so, so much. My dad, the year before that. But um, here we are in America, you know, mm. um, growing up outside of America. I'll just frame up this picture for you. America is this beacon of light. Sure, you've heard all the different vernaculars. It's this shining light. It's this, it's this pedestal. It's this, 
place or thing you want to get to. Um, and for the most part, that's how at the time, many of us growing up outside of America uh, felt and came to know and appreciate and want to, uh, to come to. Uh, so coming here, we wanted to become Americans. That was our mission. We are going to become Americans. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea, you know, what, what is an American? <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, but slowly you start to encounter the realities, right? The race issues, prejudice you know, uh, issues, the issues between white and black. Before then, never, n- not even, not even a, a word of it uh, did we even know how to, how to approach it. Now, that's not to say my family, uh, mom and dad, you know, older, of course, did not have colleagues who were whites or Asians or from Indians so on and so forth. They did. And they came to, the, to our house many times and they would play with us. And when they traveled home for different functions or what have you, because they were, in, they were either in business or in government, and they always brought us gifts. Mm. If we were out in the yard playing soccer, they'd join us and we'd play and we all got dirty and laughed and, they, and never until... We arrived in America. Wow. Did, did, did we start to get our first experiences of that? Uh, but I remember in high school that fall, my science teacher, Mr. Dick Ryan, uh, and this was in biology, uh, started talking about what an American. He says, "You know, he says an American is not a person. Mm. An American is an ideal. It's something that we strive for. It's someone who's hardworking, considerate, caring." you know, giving uh, all of, and you went through all of these things and, uh, you know, free. Uh, and I smile. I said, geez, I, I must have always been an American then. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's the, the foundation and, and all of the people that we met, you know, that encouraged and, and uh, helped nurtured us. And I said, oh, so I'm talking about my brother, myself, my sister, uh, along with our parents, uh, in you know the church congregation neighborhood and so on and so forth, positive experiences. Uh, before leaving Liberia, my grandfather Pedro had uh, inserted the pebble in a pond. Mm. Okay, um, and if you can picture that, there is a ripple effect. Yeah. Just take a small pebble and drop it in a pond, and just you never know where the ripple gets yes. to, but it's in there. Yeah. Um, so, and he told us two things, my brother and I, and he said, you know, boys, I don't have, my sister was much younger, Frances. I think she was about three or four years old. He said, I don't have anything to give you all, but two things. He said, here's my Bible. In it lies all of the answers to all of the questions you will ever have. <laughs> Keep it with you. And the second thing he, he shared with us was wherever you boys find yourselves in the world, because I don't know if we will ever see again. And he was being a prophet there because two years after we left, this long civil war started. He ended up getting killed mm-hmm. and uh, never did lay eyes on him again. But he said, whatever country you find yourselves in, the best thing you can do for your new country, for your new home, is serve in her military. Mm. Now, at 15 years old, you know, it went into the head and it was in there. That's why I said it was a, it was a pebble in the pond. Sure. Um, so that's how I came to serving in, um, in the military. They were that mindset. You know, I was doing my research and attending school. I worked at uh, the Columbia University Black Building on 168th Street 
in, uh, in, in Manhattan, in Harlem. Uh, well, that wouldn't be Harlem. That's you're leaving Harlem and going up to kind of like the, uh, 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 the, the, the heights. Um, and one day during one of my long centrifuge spins of separating our proteins, uh, I wandered into the armory building across the street, which was a New York Army National Guard armory, engineer armory. And you know when there's a good recruiter, because no sooner that I walk in, I was signing papers. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and that started that, that journey. And I, uh, so I joined. Um, I mean, there was always a receptivity there for it. Um, I went off to basic training and I came back and my com- commander and my first sergeant, I was enlisted over a two year period said, you know, you need, you need to go to officer school. <laughs> and they assisted me in that process. They, comp- they, they did everything for me and just told me go. Um, so those two individuals started off the, the journey in my life. And I did, I talked about uh, Captain Dan McNally in the book, mm-hmm. uh, basically with the influence that he had on me, uh, very profound, very positive. And to this day, we're still great friends and we still talk. Mm. So that's how I started with the military. What a beautiful story. And I love that he started off with the, the pebble in the, in the water, because it's so true. The ripple effect, we don't know where it's going to go, but we know that we, have such an impact here. And so I feel yes. like it's, it's our duty to figure out what that impact is, you know, what that purpose is, Absolutely. like you talked about. Absolutely. And um, I love that you use the word serve. Um, and I think maybe your grandfather did that too, like serve, serve mm-hmm. the country that you're in. And I just want to say how your book serves such a dynamic need um, because as I was reading it, I was thinking, okay, I had to flip. Here's the cover of it. And it says four pillars of leadership. And he mentions the word love. And I had to go back and look at the cover. And I was like, it is leadership, right? Um, and so, first of all, let me ask, what was the driving force that what motivated you to write the book? And then let's dive into the four pillars. Okay. So I felt the need to write. I always wanted to write a book on on leadership because I feel that it is one of our last great hopes of being able to unleash and open up people and make people better, uh, you know, make them better than when you met them. When you leave, when you meet someone, your interaction, when you walk away, you've left them better off than they were when you met them. You've elevated them. um, And leadership will do that. The reason for seeing that is I saw so much of the opposite. And it really uh, tore me down. I just saw that there is another way. Um, You know, in the military, we pride ourselves. It's an organization that creates leaders. Well, what does that really mean? So, you know, in my lane, speaking from my experience, with over 30 years, there were many others and a great many NCOs, the non-commissioned officers, the sergeants, okay? Um, and my experience with them was a completely different level. And I, I tested very briefly, but particularly with officers, because I was an officer. Initially enlisted, went and, but even during my enlistment years, my company commander, Dan McNally, sort of he started that mentoring coaching process where he'd 
put myself and there were four others of us and he, he kind of, you know, we became kind of like the commander's men, you know, mm-hmm. he would put us to do briefings, to prepare briefings. He would put us in charge of different trainings and to capture the analytics, you know, how many went through and how many failed and how many uh, uh, retrained and how many failed after that. And what are some of the glitches that were happening and the reasons? And he would ask all these questions. And there were five of us who, I mean, we, we got down into the analytics back then in the, in the uh, mid eighties where everything was, you know, we call it a stubby pencil. (laughs) You know? Um, And so from that early stage, he started pushing us in that direction. uh, uh, The, the, the five of us. And so I feel it was always there. And as a result of the position he took with, with us, and we were a mixture, Hispanic, there was me, a couple of white guys, you know, so it was, it was, a, it was a mix. Um, we were fortunate to always be around in the office doing something. Um, so I listen and I learn. I see and I hear two big things that I do. Slow to speak. But I'm absorbing everything that's 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 in in my in my sphere. Um, so, you know, did you know several years of that, and then going into officer school. So yeah, I'm an officer, and I feel qualified to say this in my lane. You know, in the Army National Guard, uh, for the number of years that I observed and was involved in, um, we don't have many leaders. Mm-hmm. We have many officers. We don't have many leaders. Got it. And I can, I can, you know, translate that or superimpose that on the organization at large, all right, um, that for an organization that prides itself on creating leaders, I'm like, guys, we, we're really fooling ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. There are not very many, you know, leaders. There are lots of officers. I got that. Um, so in the book, I, I focused on these five or six leaders that had an influence I served under, served mm-hmm. with. And they would tell you, no, you don't serve under me. You serve with me. Yes. You know, first language, right? And language yeah. is important. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 t- you, you, when you're working with a leader who takes that position, and mind you, not everyone felt or feel this way about them. Mm-hmm. You will talk to another officer or another soldier who will say, are you kidding me? The guy was terrible. He sucked. He did this. He was this and he was that and he was the other. But, you know, in my experience in, in looking, identifying or thinking about these individuals, the thought that came to mind was, well, what is it that distinguishes them from the others? You know, in a room full of all valedictorians and you're sitting on an admissions board, right? What's the difference between Shay and Dan? They're both valedictorians. They both got 4.0. They both got, um, you know, on and on and on. Yeah, it's, okay, what is it? It becomes those other things that um, you don't necessarily, you can't really like put your hand on. Are they into community activities? Do they volunteer? Mm. Do they give up their time? Um, are they involved in a sport? Are they involved in music? Um, oh, by the way, are they doing all of these things at the same time? Yeah, I got it. You know, Dan is a 4.0. That's all he's done. Look at she, She's a 4.0. She plays the cello. She's uh, uh, involved in her community. She, you know, she's in her church choir. So you look at all these other things. Clearly, this individual has a larger capacity 
to handle a number of things while maintaining that 4.0 versus another person who's just at 4.0 and so on and so forth. But so um, I started looking, well, what is it that distinguishes these guys in my experience from the others? And it all kept coming back to the same thing over and over. And it was selflessness. Mm. These people were not selfish. And it wasn't that they were not selfish about anything. It was just the way they were Mm -hmm. for them. Life was about the army. Mm. It wasn't about anything else. Yeah. Okay. And I heard that several times. It was, I don't care what your position is, do your job. And then we can have a discussion afterwards. Mm. Get the army's work done. Then I can hear, then then I'm open to listening to what else you got to tell me. Right. You know, well, this happened and that, well, see, this is, stop. (laughs) I don't want to know how the ocean moved and how the moon dried up and how this took place. I got all that. Go get your job done. Get the army's work done. Then I'll be willing to sit and listen to you. It was about getting the army's work done. It wasn't about clicks and, and, and being in groups or being clannish. You know, I know Shay, Shay's my bud. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get her admin work done so she can get promoted. Or I'm going to get her off to this school um, and, and uh, to, to, to the detriment of another person who is perhaps more qualified and ready uh, and so on and so forth. I saw many, many instances of mm. that. I didn't. I did not sense that with with these these guys. It was get the army's work done, okay. And they were highly competent people, or uh, focused on getting their work done. Uh, one of them is an air force uh, colonel, so I wouldn't say just the army, but it was get get the government's work done. Yeah. Um, and it was the same thing. Selflessness. It yeah. was about them. I've had I, I had an organiz, uh, an instance where there was a young lieutenant when I was a captain. Um, this guy graduated from West Point. He was a West Point graduate. And in our organization, that's the pinnacle, right? Uh, I loved having West Point officers in the organization because these guys brought knowledge. At the level they were, that they were at, um, their knowledge about the military, army systems, and, and thinking, the stuff they brought to the table was just incredible. Competency. It's also a very expensive education. Okay, we're talking about over $250,000 scholarship that wow. each candidate receives. And these guys are no dummies. I mean, they're all in there. They're all valedictorians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so they managed to have a college degree. Talk about that ability to balance mm-hmm. a four-year degree in any whatever the topic is and a military commissioning as a military officer, Army, Air Force, Navy, whatever, after four years. And it is not a cakewalk. The, the, the physical demands are grueling, as well as the educational demands are grueling. And these people are still able to graduate and, 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 and function, right? Yeah. So they bring a lot to the table. But here's a guy who was quitting. He was resigning his commission after two or three years. Hmm. And his, 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 his thing to, to me was he was stationed in Germany, and he needed to talk to his XO, his executive officer. Mm-hmm. And this dude had no time for him. Because he was busy on the computer beefing up his resume. He was applying for jobs elsewhere. Another West Pointer. So we, the people, have spent so much money 
educating this man. Right. Okay. And clearly there was a fire burning in his soul when he went in to serve. But upon getting out from those, I call them the, uh, you know, the marble walls of, of West Point mm. and stepping into reality and seeing the people's side of selfish, self-centered, you know, it's about me and, and, and I, me, myself and I, it totally, you know, caused a short circuit in his brain, which resulted in, I got to exit. Wow. You know, so he, 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 and, and my, my thing is we, you know, we, we will collectively as an organization, we'll lose so much losing this guy. Cause this dude was, I mean, he was sharp. And, and one of the things I do is I recognize and acknowledge knowledge. He had knowledge. Mm. Okay. He was much smarter than I, and I just felt my, we're losing him. And there's so many stories like that. These people were quitting their officers. They weren't quitting the military. They're quitting their officers. Mm. And so over time I said, and I saw this so many years and I had my own experiences. I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do leadership. Mm. I'm going to do leadership. I'm going to talk about leadership. I'm going to preach it. It's, it's dangers. It's benefits. And it doesn't cost anything. It just costs you to recognize the potential in people, you know, on your, annual evaluations in the military, you're supposed to really do only two things. And I would, I would talk to my junior officers when I was in command about this. Okay. Don't tell me, oh, well, we should promote Shay because she was nice. Well, my dog is nice, but I'm not promoting him. Okay. Oh, you know, Shay uh, uh, did her job. Well, that's what she's supposed to do. That's why the people of this country are paying her. Okay. I'm only looking for you to do two things. In your evaluation, let's cut through all the chase. Giving you guidance. Speak about that person's performance. Okay? And speak about their potential. And I will know, based on my experience, how to take it from there. So, in this last year, Shay Sparks performed excellently, above board, in ABCDE, even created a methodology to accomplish this. Oh, got it. That's the performance. Potential. Shay has the potential to function at a higher level of responsibility. Shay has the potential to, you know, create and, and, and so on and so forth. Now, as a senior leader, I'm looking at this. It, it paints a good picture of Shay versus Hey, last year you performed not so well, potential-wise. I really think you should stay at this level for another year. And we're going to work on these growth and development things. And let's see what happens. I will tell you, 99% of the Army evaluations are not written that way. They talk about all this other nonsense stuff, wow. which goes to do nothing. So I saw we, 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 we really need to embark on leadership. We yeah. need to talk about leadership. And then, and, you know, as I've retired and I'm in, now in, in, in a corporate, it's not very different. Right. Whether it's in religion, whether it's in government, business, politics, whether it's in sports, entertainment, <laughs> uh, you name it, in all of these big, broad categories. Yeah. Leadership, leadership. And so that's the reason for saying I'm going to start preaching the gospel about leadership. I'm going to start preaching the gospel about leadership. 
And then came the second part, which is what you alluded to. And, and the question was, of why love? Well, very simply, okay. If you are going to lead people, you have to love people. Yes. Leaders are lovers. Yes. Of people. Okay. You cannot lead people if you don't love people. And there are people who don't like people. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Because of the human element, okay, you're not going to be seeking, constantly looking of ways to better people's lives if you don't give a damn about, about them, if you don't care about them. Okay. So I say leaders are lovers. Mm. And we can talk about courage all day long, and it's easy to remember the acronym of CLIP, Courage, Love, Integrity, and Passion. we got courage. we got integrity. we got passion. Love, that's kind of wonky. You know, like, eh, feel this love thing here. You know, it's kind of like jello. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting or I'm standing in jello. What do you mean love? Well, if you're going to lead people, you have to love people. And those people who did that, history has owed them well. They, they, they accomplished the mission. Let's start with the person in Jesus Christ, the man. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Gandhi. Let's look at Martin Luther King. Let's look at uh, Mother Teresa, and so on and so forth. All right? Uh, and to the extent where you love people so much and you believe so much in what you're doing, you're willing to fall on your sword mm. where it'll cost you your life. If you're not passionate about something to where you will lay that on the line, I submit to you that you're not there yet. Yeah. You're not there yet. And when you get there, you will know. You know, I I have. That's love. We have, we're running out of time. And that's unfortunate because it's just an amazing, (laughs) amazing conversation, Daniel. And I do have this quote that I pulled from the book because, you know, to me, you have to have love in order to find what you're passionate about right so you have to understand that so for me the passion key that I just I had to highlight it was don't do anything if you're not passionate about it when you fail to pursue your passion you will not have integrity with yourself and I just feel so hundred percent about that and I feel like there's so many people out there who are just literally sort like we talked about in the beginning where they're surviving. Mm-hmm. They're not looking at what it is that they are here for, what it is they're passionate about and how to utilize that in order to move them forward in a way that gets them fired up every day. So I'm Absolutely. so, so glad that you uh, it took time out of your busy schedule to be here. It has been wow. An amazing Thank conversation. You. And just like you Thank mentioned, you Timeless and effortless. I mean, this literally was flew by. Flew those those by. are your those are your two tests to yep. test yourself by. Yeah. To and know I, if you are locked in to what your hard. I call it being hardwired for it. It's in your DNA um, because you will end up being uh, among the best or the best. And I use a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. You know, in the early days, Kentucky Fried Chicken had a saying: "We do one thing." And we do it right. And that's chicken. Yes. Okay. Now, of course, they're doing everything else, but it right, was, right, right. that was all they did. <laughs> and, and as a result, when you were driving out and you say, I want chicken, KFC came to mind. 
Right. I mean, now, of course, you know, they're, they've gone into doing other things and so on and so forth. But, you know, that brand, that thought in mind was, I feel like eating chicken, KFC. It's very simple. Yeah. And that's because that's all they did. So with you, when you're locked into that, the magazines that you subscribe to will be about that. Your friends that you keep about you, your conversations will always come around back to that. The movies that you're going to watch, the books that you're going to read will be, you You may not notice it, but if someone was watching you, it's good. that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. So when you spend that amount of time fully immersed in anything that you've locked on, you don't have a choice. Shay, you don't have a choice. You just have to start to become the best or among the best about that because that's what you're, you're passionate about. You're reading, you're, you're thinking, you're discussing, you're, everything comes, your radio programs, it's going to be all about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a result, whenever you're out, I want chicken. It's KFC. Hands down. So the secret then is just, is just to discover, you know, what that is. I completely agree with you. And this literally, this time has flown by. And I am so thankful that you've been here, but I, I want really people to be able to connect with you and get the book. So tell us, tell our audience how, you know, how they can connect with you, what's your website, social media, all of that. Okay. So I'm on um, many of the social media platforms. So your LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, but the website is www.muddybootsleadership.com. It's all one word, www.muddybootsleadership.com muddybootsleadership.com and uh, on there once you click in you can navigate into getting uh, getting in contact with me uh, seeing what uh, what we're about in, in more detail um, and, and some of the things that uh, we are doing and uh, and plan to do so www.muddybootsleadership.com and uh, is, is the best way to reach me. The book is on Amazon. You can you know, type in on guard, the four pillars, and it'll pop up, or you can type in uh, you know, Dan Harris, and, and it'll come up as well. So uh, one of those two, you'll be able to do so. And it's an easy-to-read leadership book. Yes, it is. It's, it's not, awesome. It's not, it's not, you know, I don't approach it from an academic standpoint, but it's looking at uh, key things that have happened within recent Memories such as 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina and how the leaders, how the leaders reacted to and, and led through those situations, those who did well and those who did not do so well. And uh, my being able to identify times when they demonstrated clip, hmm. courage, love, integrity and passion. And uh, and and that's that's what it's like storytelling. Uh, so. I, I hope that people enjoy it and uh, enjoy reading it. And then they walk away. They take something of value from it. Then I think uh, the purpose would have been meaningful. It is meaningful. I mean, I've read it and I enjoy it. And I love how you wrote it with all the different um, aspects of like Hurricane Katrina and 9-11. So thank you so much. And like he said, you can contact him on social media, Daniel Harris or muddybootsleadership.com and Amazon to get his book. So 
Yes. It's been an honor and a pleasure for you to be here today. And I always leave with this question of what, yes. um, what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? And it is a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King that the time is always right to do the right thing. Mm. And Absolutely. as a leader, it's one of the things that uh, it's, it's, it's like a cloak that I try to keep on every day. The time is always right to do what's right. Yeah. There is no, uh, there is no, uh, it's non-negotiable doing what's right. And we all know what that is. From the time we were little toddlers just beginning to crawl and walk and doing whatever, mom and dad's, mm-mm. or they give you the north-south, yes, or they give you the east-west, no. It starts to become ingrained by then. So when we become adults, the time is always right to do what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and leaders should not have, it should not be a, conf- a conflicting issue in them. When you do, uh, then you, run, you begin to run into trouble. You become disingenuous and people can see that. So the time is always right to do what's right. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. So true. So thank you for being here, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Shay. It's been a pleasure. Don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.